God's deep mercy. We think about Jeremiah 29, Lamentations 3, and Revelation 21. And I invite you to look at those scriptures along with the other notes in your YouVersion Bible event this morning and be able to follow along with the sermon. So let's prepare our hearts to receive God's word this morning. Gracious God, prepare us this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit to be open. Challenge us, convict us, guide us, comfort us. Let us hear the words we need to hear most to our hearts this morning. May the words that I say be acceptable and pleasing to you. In Jesus Christ's name we ask. And the people of God said together, Amen. So the news you just heard about Jared is a perfect example of what it means to lament and celebrate. We lament the fact that Jared and Hannah are moving on to the next thing and we will be losing them. But we celebrate the fact is that God's call is upon their life and is sending them somewhere to where they feel they're being called and led. Lament and celebration. Today in our regathering... It is a regathering, not a reopening, because the church never closed. It is also celebration and lament. We celebrate the fact that some of us are able to regather together, but in the midst of that, we also lament because we are not all together. Because until we can be, we are not complete. You see, we all know that. We know that with a rowdy amen in here and in first service. We all know that until we can be together, all of us, we are not complete. Also, this is the first Father's Day for me after losing my dad in December. There hasn't even been any time to mourn my dad. Things have kept moving pretty quick. There won't be any calls or cards or check-ins. Just some happy memories, and some moments of regret. And yet we went to the Davenport family farm on Friday night and we celebrated Susan's dad and her brother and me from far distance across their kitchen. It was celebration for sure, yet was still a linger of lament and loss. You see, most of us in some way know what that mixture feels like at some time in our life. So I thought I would tell a few more special space dad jokes. It's probably, you haven't noticed today, and those of you who don't know this, I'm going to have to take you to the internet, I guess. I don't know. But, um, so my daughter gave me a belt several years ago that is a Star Trek belt. There's a belt buckle on it that has the Star Trek thing on it. And so I thought, well, since you want me to wear that today, that I would find, I found this shirt in my closet that is the command uniform for Star Trek. I got some red socks on too, which means they're not going to make it. But, um, you know, know, Mary knows all about Star Trek. Mary's all in there. So, but then she surprised me this morning with this. Here, Mark, can you bring in, can you get in on that? Okay. So she made this. Oh, you see, okay. Um, So she made this with her own hand, and neither my daughter nor I can do the Vulcan salute, which is actually a Jewish uh, greeting. Um. We can't do that. So she used her own hand and had to hold her fingers separately and then try to draw around them. But there is her own hand. So it was really neat. It's really special. Any Star Trek person would go like, this is an amazing gift. So in honor of all that, here's some space jokes. Here you go. 
How does Dark Vader like his toast? On the dark side. Mm. How did Darth Vader know what Luke got him for Christmas? He felt his presence. <laughs> and then one Star, Star Trek joke. How many ears does Captain Kirk have? Three. The right ear, the left ear, and the final frontier. Yeah, Mary liked that one. She liked it. Yeah, look, she's getting it now. It's like it's all rolling through. And then the last joke is our best joke. Uh, Hannah loves this joke, but it's not about space. Two cannibals are eating a clown. One of them says, does this taste funny? so awful it's funny right so when we think about great celebrations we find ourselves in revelation the start at the end of the story of redemption revelation 21 says these words he will dwell with them and they will be his people god himself will be with them as their god and then the verse that we know most he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be Mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I can hardly wait. You too? No more mourning, no more tears. We'll sing lots of songs, I imagine, in the new heaven and the new earth. Won't be humming those. But there are some songs we, I know we'll not be singing. I don't think we're going to sing a third of the psalms, which are all songs, which are laments, because that day will be over. But in the inner, in-between time, where we are right now, you see, we're followers of Jesus who live between life is really hard and Jesus is going to come. And I don't understand how it's all going to happen, but I know, God, that you are good. That is definitely a journey we're in right now. That in-between time between lament and celebration. And I'm going to suggest to you that lament is the language for that journey. It's a gift that God has given us. So among all the things that Christians are to do in this interim period of life, especially right now in this time of our lives, we are to figure out how it is that we can keep trusting God and keep looking to Jesus when the bottom falls out of life. Amen? We know of all the people on the planet, we know the story. We know creation, the fall, redemption, restoration. We know the arc of redemptive history. We know what's going to happen at the end. We know of the one who makes all wrongs right. We have the spoiler alert to the final scenes of the final sequel. You see, Christians ought to be the ones who master the language that is for that in-between world that in-between life. And that is the language of lament. Lament is a prayer that people offer to a sovereign God when life doesn't fit with what they know to be true about God. Let me say it again. Lament is a prayer that people offer to a sovereign God when life doesn't fit what they know to be true about God. Or the coming of Jesus, or the coming of justice, or the coming of God's promises that seem to be delayed. And in that moment, we as Christians talk to God about our sorrow. 
Mark Rogop, and I assume that the V is silent at the beginning of his name, has written a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Say that with me. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. It's born out of his own journey. And it's a great book. It's already run some awards. I really encourage you to pick this book up. The, uh, the link is in your version, or go to Amazon and search it out. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. But it's born out of his own journey, both pastorally and personally with his wife, in dealing with the loss of their stillborn daughter just days before delivery. And in our family, unfortunately, we've had that happen as uh, Susan's cousin Ashley lost a child just days before delivery and I had to go and to do a celebration of life, a funeral, and the hardest one I've ever done in my life. And he says that God then sent us on a long journey of thinking and praying through the elements of grief. It felt like there was a hole in my chest, he says, and yet I'm pastoring to teach people and believe in the promises that I know that are true, but at one level feel so distant in both of the nearness of God and sometimes inexplicable distance of God in the midst of our suffering that created deep questions. And he says, and that's when I would read the Psalms. I'd see phrases and statements that just were stunning to me, words that kind of became my own, like, How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long must I take comfort in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? And I find great comfort in those difficult and pointed words, he says. And Mark suggests that if a third of the Psalms are laments, then maybe, just maybe, this language needs to be recovered in the conversation of what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. So the book of Psalms is trying to help people learn how to lament. And also the book of Lamentations, which is designed to be a memorial of what happens when suffering takes over a whole community of people. Sound familiar? Some of whom were to blame for the suffering, others who were just innocent. So first we need to define what lament is. Here's a simple definition. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And every one of those words is important. It's a prayer. Say prayer. You can say prayer in here too, everybody. That's great. Hi. Thank you. That's so nice. So I'm not just feeling sad, not just mad. In the Psalms and Lamentations, it's a statement to God. So it's a prayer. It's a prayer in pain. Say pain. Say it like you're actually in pain. Pain. So rather than taking my pain and giving God the silent treatment because I'm upset with God, I know that no one here and no one at home has ever done that, tried to punish God for all the things that you think God has done wrong. Instead of doing that, or instead of doing what many Christians do, they live in two ditches, either the ditch of denial, everything is fine, or the ditch of despair, I can't do this. Instead, we take our sorrows to God. And we talk to God about them. And that's what a third of the Psalms do. They talk to God when it seems as though life doesn't make sense. So it's a prayer in pain 
that leads. Say leads. So think of lament not as an end of itself. It's something that leads us towards something else. Think of it as a pathway to praise. And then it's a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Say trust. Trust. It's a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So it has a destination in mind. It's designed to lead you to a reaffirmation of trusting in God's sovereignty, re-anchoring your heart to what you know is really true. But in that moment of sorrow, it doesn't feel like it's true. You know that God is good, but the circumstances in front of you do not fit with that promise. Maybe that's how you feel right now. That's how I feel sometimes, trying to sort through everything that we're going through. And what do you do with that? You see, many Christians want to believe what they say they believe, but they don't know the language that helps them to believe it. I mean, think of what we're commanded to do, to rejoice always and to pray without ceasing, to consider it all joy when we fall into various trials. How do you deal with that? How do we as Christians get to that point of not resolving our tensions, but taking our tension and saying, even though that it's true, it's also true that God is good. Amen? You see, Mark says, hard is not bad, but hard is hard. This is a hard time in our lives and in our faith right now. Amen? It's hard, but it's not bad. And I think the Christian life is simply living by having those two realities be equally true in the exact same moment. But many Christians think that it's either or choice, but it's not. The title of his book, Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy, comes from two texts in the book of Lamentations. First from Lamentations 3.44. Now I'm sure everybody at home and everybody in here has read Lamentations backwards and forwards and is so familiar with it, I don't even have to mention the verses. We could just recite them without even looking at them. James just fell asleep in here. Wake up, James. It's okay. I know. Here it is. 344. The Lord has put us under a cloud. Another version says, talks about a cloud and says, the cloud keeps us from being able to pray to God. It's really tough. In Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, where Jeremiah, who sees the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, has the boldness to proclaim over that moment these words, which you've heard before. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You think maybe a song might have come out of that verse? Go back and look at the song and compare it to the words that were just said. So those two things, dark clouds and deep Mercy. You see how they go together? And on a scene that most people in their culture would look and say, God's abandoned you. God doesn't like you. God hasn't kept God's promises to you. Jeremiah has the unbelievably faithful confidence to say, no, 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 no. This scene says something. But my faith says something as well. 
And that changes how you see Lamentations 3. And then in Jeremiah 29, a chapter we're familiar with, he tells the exiles in Babylon to build houses and settle down. But then he says later on, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, as in Israel, Jerusalem. And then the verse we most know, because see, we read everything out of context. This is the verse you know. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It also changes how you think about God's promises. And what do you anchor your heart to when the bottom falls out? So lament is the language of sorrow. When you live between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. A turning to God in prayer. So in my pain, I choose to keep talking to God. I lay out my complaint. I ask boldly and I choose to trust. Or very simply, complain, ask, trust. Complain, ask, trust. Say it with me at home too. Complain, ask, trust. Complain, ask, trust. That's very helpful prayer language that you and I can pull into and redeploy into our life when we're struggling with God. You know, we, we're supposed to rejoice in all circumstances, but maybe today, I don't know that your promises are as true to me and my feelings as they were yesterday. It's okay to tell God that and to feel that. So what does lament do? It allows us to do a couple of things. Lament allows us to vocalize our sorrows. We're able to talk about the rumblings of our souls. Lament helps us to be able to empathize with other people, be able to come alongside of them and to weep with those who weep. And lament also allows us to memorialize particular lessons so we don't forget them. So vocalize, empathize, and memorialize. You see, the book of Lamentations is a memorial. Because the book of Ecclesiastes says this, It is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Why? Because you learn more at a funeral than you do a party. Some of the most powerful moments of my life have been celebrations of life and lamenting at funerals much more than any party that I've ever gone to. Lamentations is meant to remind you there are big important lessons you ought to learn because of sorrow. You can't avoid sorrow. So to learn the language of lament and even reorder our prayer life around it, there are at least four short steps in this painful journey, which are not short in doing them, but they're short in words. Turn to prayer. When pain creates struggles or hard questions, lament invites us to talk to God about it. Even if it's messy or it's awkward, lamenting is better than faking it or not talking to God. Two, bring our complaints. Lament invites us to bluntly tell God our questions, our fears, our frustrations. Get honest with God. Knowing biblical laments, ask gutsy questions. Don't believe me? Look at Psalm 77, 9. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Third, ask boldly. 
Calling on God to act in accordance with God's promises runs parallel with our complaints. Pain can create disappointment, but lament provides the language that dares to hope again. Lament invites us to ask for help from God again and again and again. And fourth, choose to trust. The destination of all laments is an affirmation of the trust of God. Read those Psalms. You'll see. Gut-level, honest prayers provide a pathway for hurting people to move through their pain. Mark, the author, says, Laments are not cul-de-sacs of sorrow, but conduits for renewed faith. Psalm 13, the close, begins with the question of why God seems so far away. It begins with, will you forget me forever? But it ends with this hope-filled statement, but I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. That is where lament leads us. Back to trusting the grace of God. And lament takes faith where we choose to turn to God when we are hurting. In that respect, to pray a lament prayer is one of the most faith-filled things you can possibly do to speak honestly and openly to God. In fact, it is from a lament psalm that Jesus talked some of his last words on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's from Psalm 22. One of the lament psalms. Go look it up and you'll see the parts of hope and trust in that psalm as well. So I encourage you to see lament as a language that we can use during this time in our own lives and life of the church. We still do lament right now. We are not going to have a big celebration. We have a few balloons and everything, but we are not going to have some big celebration without you or at home. We will not be full We will not be filled and we will not be complete until we can all come back together. And then, then my friends, we will have a huge celebration with more balloons you could possibly fit into this place and more laughter and more joy than you possibly could ever know in our time of worshiping together. Amen. And so we've been inviting the invitation to Psalm 91 for 91 days, and we are not there yet. July 12th is the day that we stop, and so we continue this at 9.10 a.m. or 9.10 p.m., and hear these words again. Lord, thank you for the rest that comes when I choose to live in your shelter. I declare you alone are my refuge, my place of safety. You are my God. I trust in you. I pray you will protect me and my family from the virus. I pray you will cover me and shelter me. I thank you for your faithful promises that remind you will protect me. Help me not to be afraid of all that I hear and all that I see. Help me not to dread the virus that is terrorizing our world. Lord, many are sick and more are fearful and anxious. I pray protection for me, my family, my church, my community, my city, my state, my country, my continent, my world. I pray, Lord, as I make you my refuge, that no evil will conquer us nor come near our home. I pray for protection by your angels wherever I go. Lord, I love you. I trust in you. Please rescue and protect me. Thank you for answering when I call. Thank you for being with me in trouble. Thank you for salvation and the hope of heaven. And everybody said together, Amen. And so God be with us all until we meet again. That's exactly what goodbye means in Old English. God be with you. Shortened to goodbye.
Remember these words as we face the challenges and the celebrations of this coming week. The faithful love of God never ceases. It is inexhaustible. God's mercy and compassion is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. So go into this week ahead with courage and with joy. Trust in God and wait patiently for God to act. For God is good to all those who seek Him. And God's loving presence goes with you. And we will gather together once again, whether we are in person or whether we are coming through your camera at home. You are loved. You are missed. Stay well. Stay healthy. Stay loved. Amen. Sure, if you'd like to.